0: Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The
1: podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past.
0: Hello, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day as we put up an episode only two weeks after the last one. What? It is possible.
1: Crazy. I, I honestly didn't know that we were still capable of this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this week, uh, we are going to talk about the Benin Bronzes. Ooh. I will take it from your pause and confused expression that I should explain what those are. Yes, uh, the Benin bronzes are a series of sculptures made in pre-colonial Africa, specifically the, the Kingdom of Benin. Oh, okay. Uh, they are considered among the greatest examples of the art and craft of metalworking in the entire history of the world.
1: Well, I feel dumb now that I did not know.
0: <laughs> so, if, if, if there,
1: is it something that I've probably like seen a picture of?
0: Yeah, probably.
1: And just didn't know?
0: Yeah, probably. Okay. Benin was in, in what is now the, the modern state of Nigeria. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Benin City, the site of the capital of the, the Empire of Benin, is still there and still called Benin City.
1: The Field Museum. Is there one thing about this? No. there, Their,
0: their uh, Africa exhibit is primarily about Senegal. Oh. Which has a really uh, similar history. When I was looking up the story, I had to check for myself. I had the same question.
1: I'm glad I'm not alone.
0: (laughs) Now, you might think that uh, the ancient kingdom of Benin has something to do with the current country of Benin. No.
1: No? No. Nothing to do with each other?
0: I mean, it's a good name. uh, And they're the country next door, uh, Um. immediately west of Nigeria.
1: So next to not even, like... Uh, Border shifted type
0: thing Maybe at its height there was a little touch But like no, it's not really uh, Any sort of direct lineage
1: Did they just like the name?
0: (laughs) Yes And for good reason, which we're going to get to Okay, But if you visited This kingdom in the 16th or 17th century What would you find?
1: I'm gonna go with People, animals, and trees
0: I can't say you're wrong like like we were saying, it is in present day 19-
1: sculptures. I'm gonna go with sculptures too. Also true. Okay. Uh
0: like I was saying, you would have to venture to uh the, the land that is currently Nigeria, uh which is in West Africa, right where the the um Atlantic coast turns from an east west coast to a north south coast.
1: Geography's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes things have corners. Uh so weird. And it was a kingdom, as I've mentioned, uh, ruled by a hereditary king, you know, ruling by divine right. uh, And he was called the Oba. Now, the Oba had direct control of the city and uh, the the sort of inner ring of surrounding villages and received tribute uh, uh, from nobles and chiefs in in the outer lying rings of the empire. Uh, So the same sort of system you would see it uh, in these centuries in East Asia, in the Americas, in Europe... It's just how the world generally worked mm-hmm. in the 16th and 17th century among peoples that built really big permanent structures. Yeah, Benin built their wealth as a, a middle trader, right, a facilitating trade between the kingdoms of West Africa and with Europeans. Once once the Portuguese made contact, uh, they also had contact with Persia through the North African trade routes across the desert. Benin City was one of the most developed cities of the medieval period anywhere. Uh, they they had this giant wall, uh, which enclosed uh, Benin City itself, uh, and 500 villages.
1: 500 villages?
0: 500 villages are what formed the city of Great Benin, all within this giant wall.
1: Oh my god. I thought that was a typo, and it was like 500, like...
0: Homes. No, no. <laughs> the, the wall is the largest man-made structure ever measured by length. Okay. Uh, it, it was four times the length of the Great Wall of China.
1: Dang. And the
0: space it enclosed was half the size of Connecticut.
1: That's a lot.
0: That's enough space you, where you could fit 500 villages, I yeah. guess.
1: Yeah. How many cities are in Connecticut?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there were 30 main streets. Uh, each was 120 foot wide, miles and miles long, uh, with a, a drainage system beneath the street. Uh, palm oil lamps were burning at night alongside. Uh, there, there was space in the middle, so I guess th- these were, you know, uh, um, parkways, I guess, uh, uh, for livestock to graze up and down the, these broad, broad avenues.
1: So what I'm hearing is they were a heck of a lot farther along than, like, anyone else in the world. <laughs>
0: We're going to be talking about some things written about the city by, you know, the the Portuguese traders, uh, Dutch travelers, and to compare the things being said in those years by those visitors and what, you know, they had to say about London and Paris at the time. Squalor. (laughs) (laughs) So the the plan radiated out the the city plan uh, according to rules of repetition and symmetry. Uh, creating a fractal of repeating patterns. So, like, the, the way the uh, the Oba's palaces were, were laid out was then reflected in a smaller way in, like, the individual districts, which were then divided and followed the same pattern with the villages inside the districts, all the way down to individual family homes. Huh. And those early explorers I've mentioned wrote that the city was free of crime and hunger.
1: Because everyone had an identical home.
0: <laughs> I mean, how how much of this is the sort of, you know, th- they'll never believe this back home, Orientalist sort of lens? I don't know. Like, they didn't bring film cameras. It yeah. was 1620-whatever. Yeah. At the kingdom's height, the oba was an absolute ruler. So let's start uh, with what that means and how it developed. Okay. Because you can't uh, understand the bronzes without understanding the oba. So the Edo Kingdoms, uh, as they called themselves for a lo- for many of those centuries, uh, their their line of Obas began in the 12th century. But the people traced their roots to an earlier line of kings uh, called the Asigos, going back to around 40 BCE. So th- this is, uh, I mean, unbroken's not quite right, but a, a, uh, there there is a contiguous history that that lasted nearly. 2,000 years. Yeah. The line of Osigas was broken, and according to oral tradition, the people sought out a new king. Uh, king Odudua of the Yoruba people uh, was their exiled crown prince, Akela Derhan. But by the time they, they sought him out to return to the throne of, of uh, the Edo people, uh, he was too old to, to come to them. So he sent his grandson to them instead, Orunmian, to become the first of the Obas. Mm-hmm. Now, Oduduwa was a very powerful king of the Yoruba people. Uh, many, many dynasties of uh, West Africa trace back to him. All of them have a different story about his youth and where he came from. Oh. So it is probably not true that he is the, the lost crown prince come to reinstate the line. That's more of, you know, the, the mythology of the Oba. Yeah. Benin became an empire a few centuries later in the reign of Eware the Great. He became Oba in 1440. He claimed the throne after deposing his brother and uh, instituted a lot of reforms, uh, you could say. Reforms like uh, removing the power of the Uzuma, which was a, a, a council of chiefs that got to select the Oba, among other checks on the Oba's power. Uh, no they're they're gone. They no longer have any checks, and the OBA is selected from here on out by primogeniture. The OBA's oldest son is the next OBA.
1: I bet that didn't go over well with that committee that just lost their jobs.
0: Well, the ones who were loyal got new jobs uh because he institu- uh he established a new system of town chiefs and palace chiefs as a sort of civil service structure okay. Because he needed the sort of structure to, to manage the lands that were about to expand. He was the first of the conqueror obas. Yeah. And the next five or so generations after him were all collectively, you know, conquerors going out, expanding the borders, going up to, to neighboring chiefs and being like, my way or the highway, you, you pay tribute or we kill you. Mm-hmm. That's that's how conquering is done. And they did it well. <laughs> Bringing Benin to its greatest Geographic size Mm -hmm. Eware was also a patron Of the arts and music It's said that he invented A new kind of wind instrument Among his many uh, Accomplishments But the way he maintained his power Like the the reason the oboe was The the be-all end-all of Benin Is because he maintained Monopolies on goods and trade If you wanted to do business At least on all the good stuff you had to go through the OBA mm-hmm. he had a uh, sole jurisdiction to sell copper ivory uh, certain beads, slaves this was the time of the transatlantic slave trade after all yeah if you had uh, you know copper bangles, carved ivory uh, uh, masks or other goods, if you had uh, certain beads or, or shells in your clothing, it was a sign that you had a certain rank, that you had a f- the favor of the Oba.
2: Mm. Okay.
0: Because he's in control of all of those, those raw materials. Yeah. And since he was the sole uh, trader of the most valued goods, he got to keep the profits on the most profitable things. Mm. He became very, very wealthy Yeah, and invested that in the kingdom. Like, the, those drainage systems and the palm oil lamps didn't come from nowhere. Yeah. And this wealth is where the Benin bronzes came from.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, that is an umbrella term for a whole host of pieces produced by the Brass Caster's Guild. Yes, the bronzes were actually made of brass.
1: What? <laughs> Okay, so why we say in bronzes, then?
0: That, that's a term that comes more from the art world than technical metallurgical science. Why? <laughs> it, it's how they were appraised, basically. Uh, it's something you can blame— so wrong. It's something you can blame the British Museum for.
1: So they don't know what metals are. <laughs> You're telling me they don't—they're really bad at their job.
0: Perhaps, perhaps.
1: This is gold, and it's really lead. <laughs>
0: Either way, don't lick it. Uh, so the guilds were a major part of the Oba's court. The brass casters' guild, in particular, ever since uh, Oba Esigie, uh, thanked their guild by making the head of it a part of the Oba's, like a uh, highest council. Mm-hmm. And this continued hereditarily to this day. I mean, even today, the head of the Brass, brass Caster's Guild is the highest-ranking courtier among all of the palace guilds. Yeah. The, the bronzes are made through the lost wax technique, uh, where over a process of, of making molds and negatives and casts, eventually you wind up with soft wax in the shape of the thing you want, Yeah, surrounded by a a hard ceramic mold uh, in that perfect shape, and you pour the metal in the top, which melts the wax out the bottom, leaving this perfect, intricate piece. Oh. Now, it's a very, very technical process, and the Benin pieces are, much like the wall, the greatest example of it in human history. (laughs) Cool. The the, uh, brass bronzes include things like uh, ceremonial staves, regalia, altar pieces, ornate water jugs in the shape of leopards. Like, there's a wide, wide variety of things that count as Benin bronzes. But the the two most famous are the busts and the plaques. Mm -hmm. Every Oba's first commission to the Brasscaster's Guild was a bust of their late father to decorate his memorial altar.
1: What if they didn't know what their father looked like
0: why wouldn't they because their father was the oba
1: oh like you're talking oh okay
0: yeah primogeniture okay yeah
1: my brain was thinking like the people making it were like okay to have this job i gotta make a bust of my dad he died when i was three months old this is gonna be hard
0: no, no, the, okay. the memorial bust was for the late Oba commissioned by the new Oba.
1: I wasn't listening apparently and just filled in a lot of details.
0: In in fact, the bronzes, especially the these plaques and uh um busts in particular, are pretty much all for the the glory and and recognition of the Oba. Okay. Uh, the plaques depicted life in the Oba's court and, and were meant to go hand in hand with the oral histories being passed down by the oral history guild. Oh. Yeah, they had one of those too. Like okay. ev- Every activity had a guild. Ooh. Like, there was a guild for the people that make the Queen Mother's clothes.
1: Now, was that a guild just for her clothes? And yes. then there was a guild for, like... His clothes and yes. a guild for other people's <laughs> clothes,
0: and uh, all the guilds—at least all the the really important guilds—had their own district in the city. Wow, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's it like was- a whole new level of art school. <gasps> <laughs>
0: As I hope we've made clear, the bronzes were products of the oba's power and wealth in their production, right? Like they're made of brass that is owned by the oba to to cast in a commission made by the oba in order to depict the, the Ob- old oba or the new oba performing a ceremony, you know, per- receiving tribute yeah. or you know putting down a rebellion or showing the these foreign traders what's what and, and showing his dominance over them. Yeah. And these plaques were hung on walls, on columns, doors of the palace's buildings. They, they were ever, There were thousands, thousands of these, especially, you know, over the centuries. Europeans saw the plaques as unique among African art. They're made of rich materials, used in an elaborate process, to be hung on a wall, uh, and to depict the power and, and ritual of royalty. Like, this fits even the most narrow European definition of art. Mm -hmm. Like, they they were primed to see these as uh, uh, something really unique and special. And, like, that's not some weird fetish object. That's art right there. Mm -hmm. That's art. Yeah. Uh, The archaeological value of the bronzes as historical depictions of dress and custom and, and... you, you can chart a whole history going back centuries and centuries because I mean they're they're made of such fine detail you can tell one guy from another. Yeah, <laughs> like just incalculable, incalculable archaeological and historical value as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Contact with Europe that we've been mentioning obliquely every once in a while began late in the reign of uh, Eware the Great. Uh, he did not welcome the Portuguese into Benin City himself, but they were trading uh, uh, out in the hinterlands mm-hmm. because this is the age of uh, just Europeans sailing along the coast dealing with traders that come to them to get the stuff they really wanted in the hinterlands. yeah, they didn't have a way to get into the hinterlands they had to deal with well, for one, the Empire of Benin. Mm-hmm. The bronzes made at Benin's height were uh, from brass provided by the Portuguese traders in the form of these bracelets called manillas, basically ingots of brass uh, that that were bent so they would, like, not fall off your wrist. Okay. Until you wanted them to, I guess. Yeah. Manillas became a standard trading currency across pre-colonial Africa in the 16th century. Mm -hmm. As trade increased, there were Portuguese members of the Oba's court. They just hung out there and, and were part of the, the deliberation. Okay. Uh, the royals and courtiers of uh, Benin all learned Portuguese as children, so that when they grew up and it was their turn to handle trade matters, they could on equal terms. There there wouldn't be a, a language barrier there. Yeah. Occasionally, Portuguese soldiers would go and fight in the Oba's Wars. We know this because of their depiction in bronzes. <laughs> But to be clear, this isn't a story of, you know, harmony in simpler times. This is two great empires in in the late medieval, early Renaissance period trying to get the better of one another in their mutual exchange. Yeah. Uh, The Oba tried to establish an embassy in Lisbon to make it easier to acquire European rifles. It didn't quite work. Oh. He had the embassy. It just didn't help him get that many more European rifles. Mm -hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the Portuguese sent missionaries to go spread Christianity, which would necessarily erode the Oba's claim to divinity. That didn't really work either. Yeah. <laughs> they they were there. They preached Christianity, and people were like, okay, that's cool. The Oba is still the divine son of God, though. He's so right
1: there. I, mean, I can see right. him.
0: It's, yeah. <laughs> but generally, during the Age of Exploration, the point I'm trying to make is that the Empire of Benin was known— and known as a peer in the world system of mm-hmm. the age, right? Dutch traders wrote these glowing memoirs about Benin City and the Oba's palace complex that is, you know, bigger than the, the city of Harlem in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, Pope Innocent twelfth wrote to uh, Oba Oriogene at the end of the 1600s to encourage him to accept and promote the Christian faith. You know, it, it's a friendly letter between world leaders, just, hey, could you do me a favor here?
1: No one's going to listen to someone named Innocent.
0: <laughs> pope Innocent Twelfth was the last pope to have facial hair.
1: Oh. Yeah. It,
0: For now, I guess. You never know what might happen.
1: Was it, like, banned?
0: <laughs> it just fell out of style.
1: Oh, no. we can't do it anymore.
0: I mean, how many presidents had facial hair after the 1600s?
1: I mean, they had it. They just didn't, like, showcase it.
0: The answer is, like, pretty much all of them <laughs> no. in the 1800s. It was, a, I guess, a mean question, yeah. but...
1: That was a mean question, because I didn't pay <laughs> attention to what date you were saying. I just thought, like, I am tired.
0: <laughs> Speaking of the 1800s, by the mm-hmm. end of that century, things had changed. So, so over centuries of global trade and, and colonialism, Portugal had sort of fallen behind the other European powers. They, they weren't top dog anymore. Uh, the Obas saw involvement in foreign trade as an erosion of their power and independence, which it necessarily is, like, this is the dawn of capitalism, that's the way it works. And they could tell because their neighbors were falling more and more to colonial domination, Mm. becoming protectorates, uh, uh, signing these treaties, and losing, you know, what what made them them. So in response, the Oba forbade more and more goods from, you know, being exported. Uh, By the end, they were only trading away palm oil and, and, like, palm... Products In yeah. general The end of uh, the 1800s was the beginning of the scramble for Africa A period of 40 years where Europeans went from directly controlling 10% of the continent to 90% Yeah uh, This was powered by the Industrial Revolution The, the dawn of modern capitalism uh, New technologies are allowed for travel inland we, We've got steamships, we've got trains now those new technologies also included the telegraph and anti-malaria drugs.
1: Yeah, those go a long way.
0: Pretty, pretty important. New colonies uh, were, were meant to give colonizers a trade surplus, extracting their wealth. We're no longer trading in slaves. We aren't stealing the, the people. We're just going to take all of the, the, the money, all the money. Yeah. The area that is now Nigeria was claimed by the British in a meeting between the colonial powers. They claimed, uh, Benin while they were in Berlin. ha huh. What is now Nigeria began as the Oil Rivers Protectorate, later the Niger Coast Protectorate.
2: Aha. Uh-huh. That, that
0: was the office that was set up to, uh, manage and most importantly, survey the borders of this claim so that the, the Germans and the French didn't jump their claim. Mm-hmm. In addition, the missions of the protectorates were to expand trade deeper and deeper inland, while, again, making sure the other colonizers didn't get there first.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and also to promote civilization and end barbarous practices among the natives. Of course. The, this line is always, like, in the charter. Mm-hmm. That, that is the, the ideological justification
1: we got to send them to jesus
0: the the proof that they uh have these barbarous practices and require our civilization is that they aren't making you know regular square factory farms they they aren't using dynamite to blow holes in the land for for their mining
1: so obviously so they don't know what they're doing
0: civilization is a matter of production productivity of the land that that is like enlightenment philosophy right there yeah so, the the first uh, British member of this pr- protectorate system to visit Benin City was British consul Richard Francis Burton. And unlike his uh, predecessors in centuries before, he called uh, the city a place of gratuitous barbarity which stinks of death. Uh-huh. Uh, when he published his visit that occurred in uh, 1862. Uh, Burton was an explorer, a world traveler, a bit of a celebrity... Uh, Bringing stories of the world to the British public. Uh, He made the pilgrimage to Mecca in disguise when it was illegal for Europeans to go to Mecca. Okay. Uh, He co-founded the Anthropological Society of London uh, with the aim to, quote, supply travelers with an organ that would rescue their observations from the outer darkness of manuscript and print their curious information on social and sexual matters.
1: What does that even mean?
0: Well, in Burton's case, uh, he he made complete English translations of the Kama Sutra and the Arabian Nights.
1: Oh my and God!
0: The Perfumed Garden.
1: <laughs> uh huh. Our guy Burton here uh, is an interesting fella.
0: Lavish, lavish footnotes in uh, the Secret Garden or, or the Perfumed Garden, <laughs> not to be confused with the Secret <laughs> Garden. Very different books. And and so, like the the question that that one must. Raise is had trade destabilized been in that badly, or had the ideology of white supremacy taken hold that that strongly in the time between these reports? Mm-hmm. To to what degree are we we putting causality on on either of these things? Uh, he spoke about widespread human sacrifice and skulls mildewing in the streets. Every single British person we're going to talk about from here on out also repeated those claims. However, the sort of mass graves that would be uh, required for for these for, practices yeah. were not found by later archaeological digs.
1: And if there's going to be dead people everywhere, you kind of need those.
0: You would expect to find all of these skulls, some of the skulls that yeah. are mildewing in the street.
1: especially if there's no like you know record of them like selling skulls or <laughs> something.
0: Th- this report kicked off a bit of a scandal. You know, it it was Burton's latest work about yet another uh, primitive people. There there was a lot of talk in the salon uh, about this sort of thing. Though nobody from Britain would again enter the gates of Benin City for another 30 years.
1: I'm gonna say Burton was just pissy because they didn't have, like, a sexual text for him to (laughs) translate. And he's like, well, what's the point? Uh, That's why he traveled around. He was just trying to find new things.
0: I mean, a lot of the bronzes were nudes. <laughs> there, there's that.
1: <laughs> See, he just looked in the wrong place.
0: He he went to the Oral Tradition uh, uh, Guild and got very disappointed. There was a bit of a miscommunication yeah. in what exactly they did there. There you go. 30 years from that visit, that does bring us to 1892. Uh, the Protectorate set another consul, uh, Henry Galway, to sign a treaty with the Oba. Mm-hmm. Uh the treaty's text says that uh the oba in some ways the last oba uh, it's a bit of foreshadowing uh Ovonramwen uh sought for Benin to be to be a British protectorate but that was clearly not true.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: His whole deal and that his father and his grandfather was to not do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the treaty also says that the British were motivated by their moral duty to civilize the world, but letters between Galway and the Home Office and you know the other people involved uh, were entirely about economic motivation. Yeah, extracting that trade surplus, right? Uh, at least one source says the treaty wasn't actually signed, but it certainly wasn't followed. Ev- everybody agrees on this. Yeah. So, so rather than uh, following these free trade terms. You, you trade your palm stuff and anything else you got with, you know, no, no duties, no uh, um, import-export fees, no limits. Uh, instead, the Oba continued to demand, you know, his, his cut. Yeah. Y- y'all do tariffs, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fun. Galway is going to stay in the picture for a while, but I just thought I'd take the, this moment to talk about the long career he would have ahead of him, uh, which reached its height when he was governor of South Australia. As governor, he opposed women's suffrage, he uh, supported mandatory military service, uh, and said that trade uni- unionists should all be round up and placed on the front lines of World War I.
1: Oh, yeah, so he was a great, great guy there.
0: <laughs> There's a statue to him somewhere erected because he did such a good job at raising troops to fight the Kaiser.
1: You know, there's a lot of statues to people who did one good thing, maybe <laughs> to some people, but did a whole lot of other bad things.
0: Henry Galloway is a land of contrasts. And uh, with that, we're going to take a break and be back with uh, the the reaction to this broken treaty. left off we had a treaty that nobody followed and nobody liked very much yep so after four years or so of going back between you have to do this the treaty says so and no <laughs> make me <laughs> we, we come to march 19 march 1896 when the oba set a uh, total embargo on the sale of palm oil and palm goods mm. The Protectorate saw the violation of the Free Trade Agreement as a hostile act and intended to remove the Oba. This was taken up by Vice-Consul James Robert Phillips. He had been left in charge when his superior went home on leave.
1: Oh! Nice way to get a promotion.
0: He was Interim consul, I guess, Mr. Phillips. Uh, Phillips sent a message to the Foreign Office back home in London. Uh, requesting authorization for an expedition to conquer Benin. He sought regime change. Uh Uh-huh. Quote, I do not anticipate any serious resistance from the people of the country. There is every reason to believe that they would be glad to get rid of their king. See, not not only regime change, but we will be welcomed as liberators. (laughs)
1: Wow, he was full of shit.
0: He's going to stage a photo op where, where the military helps them pull down the, the statue, and it's very symbolic, and mm. they beat the statue with shoes. Yeah. Mm. You would like this letter, actually, because it ended with a PS.
1: Oh, I love PSs.
0: And the PS was, P.S., I would add that I have reason to hope that sufficient ivory may be found in the king's house to pay the expenses in removing the king from his stool. Uh-huh. We're going to go to war for regime change, be greeted as liberators, and it's okay. The war will pay for itself.
1: Wow, this guy was hopeful!
0: (gasps) (laughs) So this letter was sent in November, mentioning plans to set out in February. He left in December without receiving any response. Okay. Now, the, the, (laughs) the letter he sent requested, you know, 400 men, a whole lot of guns, all these supplies. What he left with was nine guys and 250 locals carrying their stuff. Uh-huh. The only guns they had were, like, the revolvers the guys brought with them. So either, like, he had a really good plan for a sneak attack to take out the Oba, or this wasn't the attack that he he wrote about. Like, he, he had different things in mind. We will never know. He didn't write down in his diary... Dear Diary, here's my plan. Here's my intent.
1: I wish he would've. Right? What the hell was he thinking?
0: He sent word ahead to the Oba through other chiefs. Hey, I'm on my way. I brought nine guys. 200, <laughs> 250, you know, native Africans to carry our stuff. Some of them are a pipe and drum band, if, if that's chill. I got nine guys. I got nine guys from my office. Ten if you count me.
1: Oh my god.
0: Now, these chiefs, friendly with the protectorate, brought word back like, "Hey, don't go. There's an annual festival. The OBA is, is busy performing his religious rites. He, he has ceremonial duties. He cannot accept you right now. It's a bad time. Uh, meanwhile, uh, chiefs that are not friendly with the protectorate are sending word like, uh, "The vice consul's coming, and he's coming to take you out." Rather than be warned off by his friendly chiefs, uh, Chief Phillips instead sent a stick to the Oba along with a message. Uh, this was, like, an intentional insult in order to sort of provoke the Oba to action. What action he was intending, we don't know!
1: <laughs> okay, was the stick actually, like, insulting?
0: In, like, symbolic language, yes. Like, this okay. was intended as an insult.
1: Because I would love to, if, to like... To send
0: your stick was, like, a, a gesture, of a, a very rude gesture.
1: Oh, okay. So I was gonna say I would love that if it, like, wasn't, and he's like, I just heard that this is a thing, and the guy's <laughs> like, my dog's so happy, and got a stick. <laughs> Don't know what the point of this was, you weird white dude.
0: <laughs> so there's a lot of mixed signals, right? There there is um there there's some debate to be had. Uh-huh. And so the Oba meets with his council. Uh the commander of the the Benin army uh argued that like this is obviously a surprise attack. Like this is a Trojan horse. I got a book from these guys that mentioned Troy. <laughs> like come on. We we have to defeat them now before they get inside the walls. The Oba decided after, you know, everybody said their piece that, uh, I don't know, too soon to tell, we're, we're all just guessing here, let them in the city so we can be 100% sure of their motives. Uh-huh. The, the uh, military commander ignored this and sent out a force anyway. He, mm-hmm. he was going to act on his own because he, he believed his belief so much. So on their way to Benin City, the, the expedition was ambushed by Benin soldiers Killing Phillips and all but two of his men.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: His nine guys were two guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, as part of Phillips' surprise plan or unarmed diplomacy mission, we'll never know, all of the guns were locked up in the luggage. Oh. So they had no hope, really, to defend themselves against this ambush. Strutting along. In, in fact, in, according to uh, the survivor's story that was published later, you may not be surprised to hear that they became big celebrities. Yeah. Phillips was like, no, no, don't get the guns. Leave the revolvers. do No, 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 no.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, while Phillips was away, his office did receive a response from the foreign office, from the, the letter he sent, to wait a year before attacking Benin so they could build the necessary military force.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We, we, you, your, your plan is for 400. That's cool. We don't have that right now. Yeah. However, once uh, those two survivors made it back sent their telegram london's attention was gotten
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh and in february 1987 the punitive expedition set out this was the name of the expedition the the expedition of punishment the punitive expedition mm-hmm. London was set ablaze with the news of this deadly ambush, set out to defend the the barbarian king who, you know, lives on the blood of slaves, his his occult practice of human sacrifice. And and these two brave survivors who were living on dew and leaves for five days and in the jungle with their injuries.
1: And like 250 other people.
0: It it said their their porters and the the drum and fife band uh, scattered. Okay, uh, and and some of them were also slain.
1: There were nine of them. (laughs) (laughs) This deadly, this 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 mission they were on.
0: I mean, the numbers were against them. To be fair, (laughs) Uh, Benin was practically unknown in London at the time until the papers began to call it the city of blood. Of course. The punitive expedition had their orders to burn down every village and town and hang the Oba wherever he be found.
2: Uh Uh-huh.
0: So they set out with 12,000 marines, uh, sailors, and soldiers divided into three columns. Uh, Phillips had his 400 times three. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, while the protectorate office tried to accomplish their mission of trade by, you know, maintaining relationships with local authorities. Some of my chiefs are friendly. Some of them are okay with chiefs I'm not friendly with. But, you know, and so we, we try to maintain this network. Uh, the punitive expedition was strictly military.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, what they did was they advanced with machine guns, fire them uh, into the brush, pick it up, move it 100 yards farther, rinse and repeat. Uh-huh. Uh, everybody was an enemy, right? If, if you're between us and Benin City, that's your fault. Uh-huh. Uh, the abandoned city was taken on February 17th. Some, some like, straggling defenders with, with rifles up on the walls, uh, easily overwhelmed uh, on February 17th. Uh, with the telegram announcing it, uh, announcing, you know, the taking of the city, uh, being read to Parliament the day it arrived, on February 23rd.
1: So it was abandoned cuz they all like left.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the the Oba and his retinue and, and all the people of the city uh left. In, in fact, they tried to build a second Benin city that that was eventually found not nearly as grand obviously because they had a couple months uh, rather than these centuries. Mm-hmm. Um but they they tried. At, once the city was taken, it was time to uh, looted of all valuables. Of course. Over 2,500 art pieces were collected and counted and shipped away. These are the Benin bronzes as a category. Mm-hmm. This is why the category of the Benin bronzes also includes things made of ivory and wood. Oh, okay. And you were upset about the brass. and
1: the, the Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I am,
0: but... So officers were given a chance to pick one thing for themselves in order of rank. You know, the the admiral got first selection. Also, the four things set aside for the queen, but then everybody else in order.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Sailors and soldiers also pocketed smaller pieces for themselves. Anything that could be, you know, hidden in their bunk or their bag or literally their pocket. Yeah. Over 900 of, of these plaques were found just sitting on the floor in a storeroom. Like that's how much wealth that the city had. they just had spare treasures lying around.
1: We just keep them here. We mm-hmm. don't have any place to put them
0: on the twentieth of February. The systematic destruction of the city began with an entire districts set on fire one by one. uh The morning of the twenty first had an unplanned fire that burned some of the colonizers' own supplies eh. but they they didn't seem to mind uh there are a few you know, written diaries of the time that that include entries like fire, smoke, and charcoal seem to have removed all the smell, and the city became sweet and pure again.
1: Ah, yes, that the pure smell of smoke, <laughs> what we're used to from back home. I mean, I guess. Yes, they're, they're, they are used to just breathing soot.
0: If only there were more starving orphans, <laughs> then, then it'd really be complete. Mm-hmm. In August, after a bit of a manhunt, uh, Oba Overonmanwen turned himself into the protectorate and was uh, after a trial. This is how we know, you know, what things were like on the Oba side. There, there was a trial to find who was most responsible for the death of Phillips. Uh, Phillips. <laughs> well, he's already dead. We can't punish him. He punished uh,
1: himself. It's okay.
0: The, the Oba was given a deal to, to like, okay. You can still be a chief on the fringes as long as you don't exhibit any independence. Instead, he accepted exile for life from Benin. So let's follow these bronzes uh, as they, they travel northward. Uh, the bronzes were first appraised by the British Museum. In, in Who did it wrong? <laughs> Boy, did they. Because they believed they uh, might have been works by wandering Egyptians Or or maybe Portuguese sailors did the casting off the coast. Uh, Or or maybe they were trade items that originated in Birmingham.
1: Wow, I was so right about how (laughs) wrong they were. Oh my god.
0: Oh, what the fuck? This is really tied in with how Egyptians were the good ones because they were the white Africans. Mm Mm-hmm. A quote from something written to, you know, promote the first exhibition at the British Museum later that year. Uh, At the first sight of these remarkable works of art, we were at once astounded at such an unexpected find and puzzled to account for so highly developed an art among a race so entirely barbarous as were the Binny. The bronzes then spread across Europe. Uh, Some were taken by German traders as payment for moving them from the city out to the coast to to be put on the ships. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, some of these individual ones made it to the continent before uh, the the giant casks, you know, crate after crate of these hundreds and hundreds Mm -hmm. were were ever appraised or or, uh, displayed or auctioned. A flurry of memos went between the the Royal Treasury and the Foreign Office and and the British Museum and Protectorate staff over who owns them and in what proportion they own them and how to sell them to pay for what expenses. Like it, it's this big story for weeks about bureaucrats trying to avoid setting a precedent, mm-hmm. which is what bureaucrats do best, I guess. Yeah. Uh, as more individual pieces circulated in the art market uh, from. The sailor is like, it's pretty neat, but I would also like some money.
1: <laughs> I would like to eat food.
0: And, you know, the, the British porter is doing the same. More experts got their eyes on them and their value increased. There, there was a time uh, in, in early in the year when the British Museum was like, thanks for, you know, loading us up with all this junk. And the treasury was like, what, what do you expect us to do? There's no market for this. And if we sell them all at once, they're going to be literally worth the metal they're made of. Mm-hmm. That's how supply and demand works. Yeah. That's not how it shook out, actually. <laughs> uh, so after hundreds were set aside for the British Museum, uh, a few hundred also for the prime minister, uh, the, the remaining unclaimed bronzes were auctioned off. Mostly to German museums and collectors. They won the high bid.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So that brings us to today. Oba Iweka II returned to Benin City, reestablished the trade guilds, and continued traditional practices within British rule. He is son of the exiled Oba. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
0: The Oba is still a respected leader and mediator in Benin City today, especially among the descendants of the Benin people. Uh, Oba Eware II rose to the throne in 2016. Tradition holds he is the reincarnation of Eware the Great. Huh. The Great Walls began their destruction in the punitive expedition. Uh, today, the few remaining stretches are, are bulldozed for condos. Aww. There, there's not a lot of that Great Wall left. Currently, the British Museum holds 700 of the bronzes, Uh, 580 are in the Ethnological Museum of Berlin. Uh, 200 are held across uh, American museums' collections. Zero by the Field Museum. Mm -hmm. That's the same number owned by any of the people of Nigeria. Either the state of Nigeria or any museum collections. There are two. Two that have been returned to Benin, uh, personally to the Oba. Uh Uh-huh. There is a plan to build a museum in Benin City to house bronzes owned by French, German, and UK museums uh, on, you know, a rotating loan of, of three years. Mm-hmm. Just a, a few pieces here and there, so the descendants of the people that, that cast these. so you know, you
1: know, can see their ancestors' work.
0: So the, the brass casters' guild of today can see, you know, the, the work of the guild of centuries ago.
1: Berlin can't, like, give them, I don't know, a hundred of their 580?
0: Yeah, th- these two cases, these two repatriated bronzes are, are ones that trace themselves to those sailors that, like, snagged one and then sold it for, for some, some quick pound sterling. And they eventually made their way to some people who are, like, trying to repatriate bronzes. They wound up with two and then gave them as personal gifts to the Oba.
1: The British Museum has 700 of them.
0: 700? How,
1: how many are on display for people to see? Like, like three?
0: There will be a, a link to a news story about these two I've mentioned. And there is a story about these guys discovering the story of the Bedin and Bronzes and, like, going to the British Museum to see them and talking to a guard who's like, Oh, yeah, we've got a few hundred more in the basement.
1: Give them a 100 or 200, maybe. Mm-mm.
0: There there was an earlier failed attempt, uh, to to exhibit this one particular case is is an ivory mask of the Queen Mother, one of the Queen Mothers, that was worn by the Oba. That that they asked for an exorbitant, like millions of British pounds uh in insurance fees, uh that that fell through because whoever it was in in Nigeria uh who's planning to, you know, have this display. Just couldn't afford the insurance. Yeah, this is something that is remembered among the Nigerian population of London today, where they'll say, "Like, yeah, they're they're good enough to steal from you, but uh, you can make them, but we can't trust you to to not have them stolen." Like they they count this as we already
1: a, stole them from you. A,
0: well, I mean, I guess you got them there. Um, they, they count this as like a, a slap in the face by the British Museum and you know, the structures of white supremacy that caused this situation mm-hmm. in the first place. Yeah. Oh, by the way, that, that uh loan based museum in Nigeria, construction was meant to begin next year. Like it doesn't even exist yet in anything but a planning stage.
1: Hey <laughs> British Museum in Berlin You got some time to change your minds. Make a nice donation.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: A few hundred. Pieces. It'd be cool. It'd be cool, you know.
0: Uh, So, Darlin', what have we learned?
1: I really think part of this is talked about in the Field Museum.
0: (laughs) Well, it's such a familiar story, right? Like, the exhibit in the Field Museum... Tells the story of you know an ancient king in Cameroon who I think was called the Oba because it was a pretty popular word for king in okay. among the the Yoruba related peoples who had uh you know a great intricately uh, designed fortress and and palace that had never been entered by Europeans until there was
1: like deja vu is happening. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the the story of independent uh pre-colonial dynasties saying, trade partners cool, equal exchange. You don't you don't mess with our stuff though, we're independent. And a protectorate saying, actually there there was a meeting in Berlin.
1: You
0: you're going to be a protectorate now.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh we've decided this for you. There's
0: independence is not an option anymore. We have a civilizing mission. Uh and then eventually the these misunderstandings uh, become a, a flashpoint that is used to justify a huge uh, a military attack that destroys local custom and art and and the power structure uh, and, and claims the land violently.
1: Yeah. It is a, a story that unfortunately is told again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: uh, so with that we're going to take a break and be back with some letters. Yeah! everybody, and welcome back. Uh, We have one letter for you.
1: Technically two. (laughs) From the
0: same person. And that person is Peter, who uh, just wrote in to to say thanks for coming back, and uh, they're happy to hear us, and that they're looking forward to this episode's topic. I hope you enjoyed it now that it is done.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm sure that is a sentiment shared by, by many of you. Thank you for, for coming back with us. Uh, I saw a lot of excitement out there at our prophesied return. <laughs> <laughs> We've come back to you at the turn of the tide upon Shadowfax.
1: Yes. So if you'd like to be like Peter and write us a letter... You can email us at historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com.
0: That's right. We, we want to hear your, your show suggestions, your questions, any stories you want to share, uh, whether or not you, you've joined up with the Rohirrim, uh, all that stuff.
1: And sometimes prompts. And sometimes prompts. I don't have one because I don't know what I'm talking about. I next. expect
0: to get one letter yet again then.
1: <laughs> Peter, it's on you. <laughs> You can just write us if you want to, mm-hmm. um, anyone. But, yeah, I don't have a prompt.
0: And those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com all the same.
1: Send me cute animal pictures. Please. There's your prompt.
0: Another way to get in touch with us, uh, prompt free is the way to be, is on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and those are all free for you to find.
1: At History Honeys.
0: You can talk to people about us, though. Not just talk to us, but talk about us. One one venue that's very fruitful is leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can. Very, very helpful.
1: You can also tell a friend.
0: Tell those friends. Make those friends. Tell yeah. those friends all about the Lost Art of Benin.
1: Yeah. Darlene, do you have anything you want to tell our friends about?
0: I would like to tell our friends uh, that I published my very first role-playing game. Yeah. I designed and published and and commissioned arts and It's uh, very pretty art. It's very good. That cover is going to move some books. It is called Last Shooting. It is a uh, uh, tabletop role-playing game for two players about uh, mech pilots uh, in a duel. Uh, just a, It's a mech showdown RPG for two players. So says the subtitle printed on the title page. There you go. <laughs> it's called Last Shooting. It is linked in uh, uh, the show notes here. Uh, you can uh, buy the PDF on itch.io. Uh, you can buy the PDF and or uh, a print-on-demand copy. Which comes
1: with a very pretty cover.
0: Uh, for, for all you, like, tactile people who like physical copies of your books at Drive-Thru RPG, You can also leave ratings and reviews on both of those.
1: Hey, and you can tell your friends! Yeah, yeah, I mean... It's amazing how this works. You
0: probably should review the book on the books pages and the podcast on the podcast page. But, you know, you do you. <laughs>
1: someone could get creative out there and figure out how to make it work.
0: And if you're curious how it plays and you like podcasts which you probably do because you're listening to one uh, you can listen to it be played at six feet under my uh, actual play show uh, the the last shooting episode is already up for our patrons uh, if you if you donate to the six feet under patreon but it will be up for everybody uh, uh, next Saturday that's Saturday the twenty fifth
1: yeah. And I think that's, like, about it.
0: It's so good to be back on schedule.
1: Now we just gotta keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) The pressure's on!
0: And with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your your honey. honey.